Jesus E. Solario Jr., running for Congress in the 4th District of Illinois. Welcome to Laugh and Learn with Vern. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. We go back, way back, all the way to probably 2019, Chicago Young Republicans group. It's still kicking around. You clearly have been doing some big things since then. You are this motivated guy. You have your own business. What are you doing getting into politics? (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's a, something that I never thought I would actually put myself, my, my name on the ballot. I, I've always worked to get good candidates elected, uh, but I, it never crossed my mind that I, I would actually run. So I saw that this opportunity um, kind of opened up and realized that here in Chicago, we need to give voters a real opportunity and real options as to who they get to vote for. Um, it's heavy blue area and Republicans, I don't know for what reason, maybe they're afraid, maybe they don't know how to, <laughs> how to uh, interact with uh, voters. So I decided to put my name on the ballot and, and run because I'm tired of seeing all the corruption. I'm trying to, I'm tired of seeing all the bureaucracy and the red tape just really affecting our communities. You talked about bureaucracy and red tape. We talked before we went on recording about something that a situation you had to deal with some red tape that didn't go your way. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so in 2013 and 2014, I was uh, part of a grassroots team that kind of came together and wanted to open up a STEM, a science, technology, engineering, mathematics school, high school in Little Village, which is a predominantly Hispanic community here in Chicago. We went through the entire process. We looked at curriculum. We looked at fundraising because we knew that we wanted to be self-sufficient and make sure that we were bringing in resources outside of uh, you know, federal funding, uh, state funding. We went through the entire process, but unfortunately, because of the bureaucracy and the red tape, we weren't able to open up the, the high school at, you know, once we uh, presented the proposal. So that got me fired up. And I said, this is an excellent program. Like we are exposing kids to these fields where the jobs are going to increase significantly over the next couple of years. Like people should be jumping at the opportunity. But because, you know, we didn't have the connections, uh, uh, we were just rejected. Can you give an example of what you mean by like the connections? Like what was like the, re- like what was an example of something red tape? Like maybe I wouldn't know about that they like asked you or, or asked you to do and you were just like, like, how's that even work? Just to put it simple, the, the unions, the unions are adamantly against school choice, allowing parents to decide where the funds and where kids get to get to go to school. And I think that's a, a, a overall a bigger problem right now because kids are basically told what they can study, where they can study, and the parents are unfortunately, you know, lack of a better word, their kids are just being held hostage by these unions that if their demands aren't met, they're not going to open up schools. And, and so that's predominantly what the, what the problem was, is that unions are against uh, allowing kids to have other options. When you're trapped in your home and you can't leave, I think hostage actually is <laughs> normally, a, I think that actually is normally a hostage situation. Yeah. You have very detailed policy proposals. I highly recommend everyone check out Jesus's Twitter, which I will shout that out right now since I was just looking at it. That is Jesus Solario Jr. Just at, right? J-E-S-U-S-S-O-L-O-R-I-O-J-R. You did an article with the Sun-Times, which... I think some of their heads probably exploded with your answers. I can't imagine they expected the amount of detail and 
the way you broke things down. I mean, that, that was a five or 10 minute article. It was a great read. I want to first talk about your economic proposals. I don't even know what you're can the, uh, you're running against Chuy Garcia. I have no idea what he's even running against. And quite frankly, I'm sure it's terrible. What do you, what are your ideas? Just to put it simple, the reason that we are seeing such a disparity when it comes to income, when it comes to education, you know, when it comes to healthcare, it's not because of the rich against the poor or black, white, and brown. It's because we have a system that I like to call cheat street, which includes, you know, all those special interests, you know, all the lobbyists that embolden these elected officials to basically pass harmful legislation. And so I want to fix that system, right? When we're able to address this cheat street and when we're able to get them out of the way, then we can get back to, you know, regular economics uh, because right now we just have any field, healthcare, education, the environment is a big one. You have artificial regulations that inflate the demand um, on, on one side, right? And it just benefits a certain group. And again, it goes back to the people that are, that are connected. And so when I decided to run, I, I wanted to make sure that I was telling a real story, that it's not institutional racism, which that's what my opponent likes to say, that we're not succeeding. We can't, we can't attract better jobs into our district because of institutional racism. And I'm telling that narrative that that's not the case. We need to move beyond that because it, the real reason it's Cheat Street that has just taken a hold of our entire our government system. Let's talk about how that relates to the environment. Can you give an example of one of these distortions? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, look at uh, during the Obama administration, they were pushing hard for uh, renewable energy. Uh, Solyndra is one of the companies that just was funded and then went bankrupt, right? So we have, especially in the far left, basically the people that are not controlling the Democrats, they are putting forth a, an alarmist agenda that the world's going to end in 12 years, that, you know, that if we don't fix our, and we don't pass these legislations and this 70, $90 trillion package to basically address and basically instructing people to, to rebuild their homes. So they're um, equipped with solar panels and, and renewable energy and all these other uh, restrictions and regulations, who's benefiting from this, right? The specific lobbyists in, in that area. So what we need to look at is that, yeah, climate is changing, right? But at the same time, it's not, um, we're, the, the world's not gonna end in 12 years. There's, there's better ways to, to motivate individuals and companies and segments of our economy to develop uh, better ways to produce energy. And unfortunately, what we're seeing is the, the leftists just want to radicalize everything, want to put us in 100% uh, renewable energy, which is which is not doable, right? Um, and unless it's nuclear, unless it's nuclear, maybe, yeah, maybe. But which, they want to they want to get rid of that as well. Yeah, I mean, look at Joe Biden wants to get rid of fracking. Yeah, he wants to win Pennsylvania and get rid of fracking. Well, no, no. Did you hear what he said? He's like, well, I I wouldn't like get rid of it right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll just he, keep your yeah. He's flip flopped on that, depending on where he's at. If he's in, in Pennsylvania, he's all for fracking. But he, if he's in Delaware or somewhere else, he's against fracking. So and these are the extreme policies that these people are putting forth. And who's pushing these policies? 
it's a special interest that will benefit by going 100% renewable. And we're never going to get to 100% renewable by dictating and by telling uh, the, the economy what, you know, what needs to be done. There are many special interest groups across the economy that have this, I want to say, I don't know if oligopoly is the right way to put it, but for example, yeah. the AMA, mm-hmm. right? The American Medical Association to become a doctor, they have this whole, all the licensing, you know, as a lawyer, I have, I have my own kind of, you know, the American Bar Association with the licensing fees and you have to go through three years of law school, which I've told people before, it should be two and an apprenticeship because the third year, most people are literally doing maybe three to six credits, which is like two classes. They're kind of looking for jobs. They're mostly just going out. They're at the pool, things like that. What, and I, for, for what's worth, I did a JD MBA. So I had 18 credit hours all for my last semester. So I actually had to do some work. Although I did watch 30 rock a lot. <laughs> Great show. What would you, so what's an example of something you want uh, policy wise that you would want to do to make things more fair, whether it be the AMA, the American Bar Association, or just something that has such a tight knit or just tight grasp on one specific area. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned the AMA, but we see that in occupational licensing. There's restrictions beyond restrictions, requirements, licensing fees, uh, continuing education fees. Oh yeah. And I mean, to, to cut hair, to become a realtor, I mean, just across the field, it seems like every year there's new restrictions on new areas of the economy. And so the people that are that control the pipeline is these organizations, you know, the AMA and, and, and so on and so forth. And that just creates an artificial um, bottleneck. So there has to be ways to come to a consensus and say that, a doctor doesn't necessarily have to go to, to, uh, to medical school for six, eight years, or maybe create a separate entity that will streamline the process and just remove the power of the AMA. I mean, the AMA controls um, who becomes a doctor, what schools get certified, and allows the doctors to go to those schools. You know, that's, that's again, an artificial uh, barrier to entry. What is another economic issue that you're very passionate about that you see affecting your district? Immigration is a big one. And it's something that my opponent has literally campaigned on during the 30 plus years that he's been in office ever since he started as a local uh, alderman. And what we're seeing is that our immigration system is broken. Yet he wants to remove and defund ICE. He wants to remove the border and he wants to decriminalize illegal crossings doesn't realize that that's going to hurt our communities and directly impact our communities so what we need to do is look at our visa system that's another um, area that is artificially impacting our communities right so we have two areas on the lower end we have individuals that they get work visas that come here to do agriculture work, you know, uh, low skilled jobs. And that affects individuals in that area. Cause now they're competing. Not only are they competing with China with manufacturing, having to produce products at a, at a lower rate, but they're now they're also competing against these individuals that come here and are paid lower wages. And it's not fair for these individuals too, cause now they're stuck 
and they get paid lower wages and they get mistreated. And then on the other end, the high tech workers, you have visas specifically created in those fields to bring individuals that are in STEM and provide them with a lower wage instead of allowing students that are here that are paying thousands and thousands of dollars the ability to apply to compete for those jobs. And again, these individuals are, are competing with the visa holders and are competing with, um, with the, uh, you know, with China and India and all these other high tech countries. What's one way to fix the visa system? I think uh, one step is we need to look at all the visas. There's a plethora of visas and start to cut back on those visas. Because uh, again, this is just creating artificial, um, it's increasing the supply into our country. So we need to slowly start to cut back on those and allow the people that are here to compete for those jobs. It seems like a pretty straightforward message, very America first. When you speak to people in your district about this, how is it received? You know, when I talk to people here in my district, they, they get it. They're like, well, that makes sense. And people, like, like I mentioned, people, a lot of low-skill individuals understand this because they've never, they haven't seen a raise in a long time. And when you explain what, what are the main factors that are causing their income to, to stagnate, they understand that. But unfortunately, again, here in Chicago, we've been run by, by Democrats for 80 plus years. And any type of conversation that you try to have, you're labeled as xenophobic, uh, a bigot, all, all the isms. You? You're labeled as xenophobic? <laughs> oh, yeah. By oh, who? Yeah. So let's say you as a conservative minority. I mean, I can see me being labeled all those things, but. No, you'd be surprised. It, it's, it, magically, you lose all the protections of, of being a minority when you're a conservative. So somehow I've become a white nationalist, a white supremacist, bigoted, all the... uh, Welcome welcome to the club. Uh, It's apparently not mutually exclusive to white people anymore. So we're we're happy to have you. It's been very lonely, to be honest. Kidding. (laughs) No, and and that's another thing I talk to, to a lot of parents. They are just frustrated because... People in suburbia, no offense to them, they can, they can hire tutors and nannies and, and support staff to help them uh, with their kids. And they themselves can work from home. But it's the blue-collar families that can't afford a nanny, they can't afford a tutor, can't afford to take time off to take care of, uh, to help their kids to their online education. And that's what these politicians don't understand. Yeah, I always wonder about that because a lot of parents now they might be working at home because of COVID, but when you're, let's say your first, second, third grade child is supposed to be on the computer and they're having trouble at something and then you go help them, you're not exactly working. So then you take away from your job. And if you have more than one child and they're all that age, are you talking to a lot of parents? Are they like, what is the, what is the vibe in your community that when you, when you talk to people about, uh, cause right now I believe Chicago is hundred percent remote, correct? CPS. That is correct. Yeah. How, how are they dealing with that? How are they feeling? They're very concerned. They're very concerned because, uh, again, a lot of the time, these parents can't take time off from their from their work. And these are essential workers. These are people that have to go to work in order to provide for their family. So they're finding it very difficult. I've I was talking to a family, and the the mom had to basically cut back hours and 
they're basically surviving off of one income, the husband's income. And they have, I think, three or four kids that all of them are going through remote learning. That's crazy. Let's talk about, let's keep, uh, let's talk about healthcare. Mm-hmm. What are your ideas for healthcare? Because I don't think anyone on either side is happy with what's going on right now. Yeah. And that's, that's another issue that's, that's very important uh, here in my district. And again, Republicans and Democrats, they're both at fault with not really trying to figure, uh, figure out the issue. Um, and you have the Democrats that are adamantly fighting for Medicare for all. And I think what we've seen with COVID should frighten everyone that Medicare for all is not the way to go. Um, we saw that we are overly reliant on China when it comes to medical supplies. So first we need to bring back those, um, uh, that manufacturing back into our country uh, so that we know exactly and we know um, the time frame, and we can control the uh, production uh, of those supplies. Secondly, we have to protect individuals with pre-existing con- conditions. I mean, that's that's a given. Um, it's no fault of their own, so we need to make sure that we are including them in in the the healthcare uh, overall package. And then, like I mentioned, doctors. Right now, there is a shortage of doctors. So imagine if we open up the floodgates with Medicare for all. We don't have enough doctors and nurses to take care of the, the influx of, of uh, patients. In terms of Medicare for all, I'm assuming your opponent probably supports it. Yes, he's a, a big proponent of uh, Medicare for all. Have you or anyone else asked him how you can have Medicare for all with open borders? <laughs> Unfortunately, the media is not willing to ask the tough questions. Um, and, and he's basically <laughs> has not answered exactly how he would implement uh, Medicare for all. Why, why do you think that is like, for example, like the Sun-Times? The Sun-Times doesn't seem to ever go hard at anyone uh, in the Democratic Party that I can tell. What, why is that? You know, I think that's the, the frustration that President Trump saw, and he realized that he needed to bypass all the, uh, all the media and because they weren't asking the hard questions. It, unfortunately, you see this a lot. It's only conservatives that get fact-checked. It's only conservatives that get asked the tough questions. Um, and I really don't understand why, why that's the case. Your opponent's been in politics for what, uh, the last how many years? I believe uh, since our early 80s, he's been in office. He's, he's basically has been anointed to every position that he's had. And now he is working overtime to get a cabinet position with the uh, Biden administration. So it just shows you that he's just looking at the next, at the next uh, um, position. And he hasn't done anything for, for the for the community. And, and check this out. You would think that having the control of the House, having the support of the, uh, of the Speaker of the House, that your bills would get pushed through and signed into law. He hasn't had any of his 16 bills 
even come out of committee. So just, that just shows you the kind of leadership that he actually has in Washington, D.C. And so, go on. No, I was going to say, how does someone who has got nothing passed expect to get a cabinet position? I don't understand how that would work. Well, that's, that's exactly how that works. It's, you, you know, you do your time, you, you play nice. And again, he hasn't been effective. And it's unfortunate because the people here in, a, in our district and in our city, it's such a beautiful city. We are seeing a spike in crime, especially in the communities in the 4th Congressional District, Little Village, Pilsen. And he hasn't done a single thing about it. He hasn't condemned the violence, hasn't come out and, and uh, proposed ways to, to improve our, our communities. What are you thinking in terms of the violence? Because really we're looking at a, another potential riot situation, depending on what happens with this Brianna Taylor indictment or no indictment. What do you, what do you recommend? You know, let's say you're, you know, you were switching with him right now. You're, you're in you know, the representative fourth district. Like, what do you, what do you do? What do you recommend? What do you tell Lightfoot? What do you do? Yeah. The first thing is uh, the members of the law enforcement, they have been working overtime for the past couple of weeks. They need backup, put egos aside and let the national guard come in and help them in areas where they can't physically be. I mean, Lori Lightfoot has, Mayor Lightfoot has CPD co- uh, covering her house and, and Michigan Avenue, yet he, she's neglecting the communities that are being afflicted by, by the crime, right? The shootings, um, theft is going up, arson is going up, and we, they need backup. So that would be step one is to make sure that there's backup. Step two, which should be part of step one, is... Um, Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox should start prosecuting these criminals. Uh, there was a uh, sometimes or a Tribune article that came out. She released 25,000 criminals last year, uh, higher than her predecessor. And these are these are um, you know everything from murder to arson to sexual assault. So these are bad people that go into our communities and continue to cause harm, continue to um, just destroy our communities. What do you say to someone who says, well, Jesus, I get what you're saying, but we need to continue to fight systemic racism in the judicial system. It has targeted brown and black people for too long, and we need to put an end to it. How do you reconcile what she's done in your position with someone who's saying enough is enough? So if you genuinely believe that there is institutional racism, look at the people that control institutions. It's the Democrats. So if you really want to get rid of institutional racism, then you need to start voting these people out because they've controlled every aspect of government locally. They control every industry from tech to Hollywood to you name it. These are the people that are controlling Again, if you believe institutional racism, then you should start voting for Republicans to get these people out. Makes a lot of sense. It's, have, you mentioned, have you said that to people and do they just stare at you like you're some sort of like talking squirrel? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're yeah. Like, you, know, you know who runs these, right? Yeah. And that's the thing is that Democrats are doing such a good job at brushing over that little fact that it's Democrats that control Chicago. It's Democrats that control state governments. Um, it's it's basically Democrats to control our our congressional delegation. 
if these individuals revolt them out and bring in new people, new leadership, things are going to change. What do you think Republicans do wrong mostly? Because it's, I don't know if it's, is it a messaging situation? Is it that maybe there just isn't some of the courage to go in and have some of these conversations in some of these neighborhoods? Like, what do you think are some of the issues that, because just forgetting the party situation, because I, I will throw libertarians in there too, because they have different views to get better solutions. You need different ideas. And if you just have this group think, it doesn't matter if it's politics or not. If you just surround yourself with yes, people, you're never going to see what might actually be a solution. You're just going to hear what makes sense to you and what people tell you. So what do you think that Republicans, independents, like other people that want to get in government and want to make a difference? Like what is the messaging that we got to do here to make that happen? Yeah, I think there's so much distrust with government that a lot of people are just turned off and these are good people that should be running, you know, our, our, should be running for office. But unfortunately, they're just disgusted with the system. They're disgusted with the politics. And we scare away a lot of good people. And what I've been doing over the past couple of years is in getting involved in these communities and talking to people that Republicans usually don't uh, talk to or don't like, don't go into the communities. Um, I don't know why that is, but I know that specifically with, with President Trump and Chairwoman Ronald McDaniel, they've been involved in these communities, in the Hispanic communities. And that's why you've seen such a, a, a good support of Hispanics sticking with President Trump because they've been active in the communities. So I think we need to replicate that here in the city of Chicago um, and across the state of Illinois. And, and use that blueprint because uh, Ronald McDaniel did it in in um, Michigan, I believe, or Wisconsin, wherever the state she was a chairwoman of, and and that's how they increased the uh, the Republican turnout. Um, and they did voter registrations. They were at uh, community events. They were present and they were active. And we have to start doing that here in Chicago. What is the reception normally? when you have these events like for example if like i'm trying to think the best way to put it like like what is a republican event like in little village mm -hmm. well it's a great question so i'm actually having a big event this friday oh, excuse me this saturday in little village i didn't mean to uh, lead into that but i'm glad i did please keep going <laughs> yeah so we're doing a a a back to blue rally a community event uh because we want to build uh build a bridge between the community and the um, Chicago Police Department. Um, and so we're, we're throwing this big event. I partnered with the Back to Blue organization. Um, we've invited everyone in the community. We've been out door knocking. We've been out uh, talking to small business owners, talking to people here in the community to let them know that we are going to throw this event. We're going to have food. We're going to have music. Just stop by, bring the kids. It's going to be a fun event. Um, and we're going to have a, a speaking program. And we've invited all the local leaders to come out. doesn't matter if you're Democrat or Republican. It's, it's about communicating with the, uh, and engaging with the community. Was it, was it that easy to, to get this event? I mean, it sounds somewhat complex, but did you just reach out to the Back to Blue organization? You said, hey, I'm interested in doing an event. And they're like, yeah, let's make it happen. Like if someone else wanted to do that, whether it be you know, in their neighborhood, how would they go about doing that? Yeah, it, it, it was that easy. I attended an event um, downtown Chicago. I texted the organizer the next day, like, great turnout. I'd love to have an event like this in Little Village. And she was like, yes, 
yes, let's do it. So we set the date. And like I said, past couple of weeks, uh, we've been out in the community inviting people, inviting small businesses. But the other thing, we've seen how devastating the uh, Governor Pritzker's uh, restrictions have been to small businesses. Um, Little Village has 26th Street, which is second to Mag Mile in revenue statewide. And so we invited businesses to come out and put a table and sell their items um, and invite the community to, to hear from local leaders. Um, and it was, it was that simple. The hard part is, is getting people to the event. So you talked about the, uh, Governor Pritzker and some of his, his measures with the, with the lockdowns. If you were, excuse me, when you become elected, what is something that you want to do in Congress to either help people out economically from what's going on now? Yeah, let's, let's start with that because I think we're on the same page with the economics. We shouldn't just print money indefinitely. So what are some things that Congress will do under your leadership that can get things done to help people? Yeah, so um, just quickly, I think that being a, a leader, and again, something that we've not seen from our current congressman is that you have to be a leader in your community and in your state. And we've not seen him be in the community. We've not seen him be forceful um, against J.B. Pritzker's, Governor Pritzker's stay-at-home orders, even after seeing how devastating it's been to small businesses, even after seeing how devastating it's been to families. So that's something that as an elected official, as a leader, um, I'm going to do that. I will stand up to my own party. I will stand up to the Democrats and say, these are the things that we have to do to help our communities. Um, when it comes to uh, uh, Congress, there's a lot of things we can do in Congress. Um, like I said, continue to look at deregulation. Um, that's, that's one of the biggest things that's really helped uh, the Trump administration with increasing jobs, especially in agriculture. Um, but we don't see that <laughs> because of the news, right? They only wanna cover um, bite size and, and all the bad stuff. So deregulation is one of them. Um, like I've mentioned, Cheat Street, we need to get rid of the special interests and get rid of the, um, the lobbyists. Um, I believe a congressman in California is, his name is escaping my mind, but I would actually partner with him. He has a bill that would um, restrict administration officials, Congress members from Congress from becoming lobbyists. And I would sign on to that because how you, you it's it there's a uh, a lot of members that go to Congress and lose their seats then end up uh, working for foreign nations to get you know grants and 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 contracts for for those countries and that has to stop. Let's talk about Congress again. So your first day, this is a total hypothetical scenario. First day of Congress, there you are. You're in the Capitol building, and I learned earlier. I was talking to Esther Joy King. Have you met her before? I've not, but I've spoken to her a couple of times. Yeah, she's fantastic. She taught me that the Capitol is actually C-A-P-I-T-O-L, yeah. which is a little embarrassing that I didn't remember that given I was a history major. Anyway, so you're in the Capitol building. It's your first day, right? What is your plan to memorize 434 new names? <laughs> um. You know, the way I, I, I am terrible with names, it takes me three or four t try, times to, to memorize people's names, but I would find a fun way to, to attribute the, their name to something 
from uh, from their state uh, and and use that as a way to to memorize their names a fun way but yeah it's that's a lot of members and not a lot of names to to memorize when you only have essentially what six months to a year to do it because then you're almost back on the campaign trail which makes me brings me to another point you only have two-year terms it seems like a lot of time it seems like you almost have to continuously campaign because there's not this continuity maybe trust isn't built as well and that's why it's kind of hard to get some legislation actually done Mm -hmm. what is something that you think you'll be able to provide and bring to congress that maybe will help people actually get some deals done so first thing is term limits we need term limits uh on the legislature um because you're right people as soon as they get in uh sworn in not inaugurated sworn in uh they have to start fundraising they have to start thinking about their next campaign and so they don't are not willing to take those tough votes so i think term limits is a great way to make sure that these individuals are gonna be taking those tough votes and making those tough decisions for people in their districts. Um, And we also need to look at gerrymandering, making sure that it is an independent um, entity that is going to draw maps. Because again, right now what we have is these elected officials, the, the ruling party that dictates who is in their districts by a, a, the, the map drawing process. What is, so I've, I hear gerrymandering all the time. It's done by, can you ex- explain like the process of it? Like it's done, you said it's done by whoever's in power. I'm assuming it, if Democratic House and they would be doing, they're drawing their own districts. Like how does that work? Yeah, so every 10 years right now we're going through the census. So every 10 years there's a census to see the population, to see where, you know, where people are moving, where people live. And so after the census, those numbers are released to the states. Then the states have a certain amount of time to redraw those maps in accordance with the new numbers. So each district has to have a certain amount of uh, population. It has to be uh, uh, contiguous. Um, And so in Illinois, because it's blue, Democrats get to pick get to draw those maps and that's why you have districts like mine that are extremely gerrymandered uh, they're all over the the place when it comes to shapes so in order to to fix that problem we have to take that that process and allow a independent entity to draw the maps so that we're not left with with uh, you know crazy drawn maps and that's here in in illinois but also in red states republicans get to control the way that those maps are drawn. And again, you look at those maps and it, they're all over the place. It does kind of look like a drunk person got a box of crayons and was just like, well, here's this district and well, there's a little bit here and we'll just kind of, yeah, okay. That looks right. Like I've never understood how that actually works. So that makes a lot of sense. All right. Let's see what else we got. Okay. I once had an idea for an app and the way the app would work is you essentially take your phone and you get to a restaurant and you, it automatically pulls up your table and then your seat. So you put in your seat, you order your food to it, and then you pay. Because I think we've all had that instance where we go out with a, a large group of people and maybe that night you, like, you only eat a little bit or like you, you would say you only have like, you know, a drink or you don't drink at all. And like some people get like loaded and they're like, oh, let's split the tab. Yeah. And then you end up paying an extra like 30 bucks and you're like, why did I just spend $40 on some slices of pizza? 
So that's my idea that I think could work, but I've actually never really done anything for it. Uh-huh. What is an idea that you have that has been rolling around in your head, whether it be an invention, politics, or something else that you're like, I think it could work, but I haven't done it yet. And I promise I will not steal it. <laughs> well, you're putting me on the spot. Um, I don't know anything right off uh, the top of my head, but I will tell you that in high school, I was part of a, so this was 20 years ago or so uh, when computers were just coming out and becoming mainstream. I was part of a class, uh, AutoCAD class. Um, you know, you, you draw buildings and stuff. Sure. One, of the pro- one of the projects was to design, you know, a, a gadget or, or something. And I had a, a phone that had a screen that was tactile. But it, this was, again, years before, um, before uh, the, the iPhone. Yeah. And so I, every day I'm very regretful that I didn't pursue uh, that idea because I think I would have uh, had invented the, the iPhone before its time. So do you remember? Oh, yeah. I mean, you, and you'd be a trillionaire. Do you remember how? Yeah, just casual. Yeah, you'd be a trillionaire. Yeah. Do you remember how you like had that idea for that? Like I, you know, when I, I remember high school, I like didn't even want to do CAD. I, I think I passed it, but I don't even know how. How did you like come up with the idea for that like screen? So I think it was based off of uh, back then there was a uh, Palm Pilots, but they oh, were yeah. just like massive bricks. I was like, well, let's just streamline and make the the screen like the entire you know uh, face of the of the uh, uh, of the uh, the phone. But again, it was it was. Uh, primitive um don't know where it would have uh taken it from there but uh you know it was a uh, pretty interesting why do you think joe biden sometimes doesn't campaign past 9 a.m even though the election is within 50 days i think his uh keepers his uh staffers just want to keep him away from the cameras do you think I mean, that's even, a real thing though like he like he literally has just people that are like nah you, no joe like just relax do you think he's really got those oh yeah yeah i mean at a presidential level you have staffers for everything so his people just probably just don't want him to say anything that's going to impact them um because it seems like every time that he's off the cuff which is every time that he forgets uh what's on his uh, teleprompter it seems like his staff has to come back and 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 clean that up for him so that's why i think they every single day they just there's a lid and there's no press access to his campaign well jesus i want to let you know that uh during your answer to that question 300 million americans just died oh jeez. yeah joe is, biden. This a, is this a direct quote from mr uh joe biden himself he tweeted it out. <laughs> All right, let's see what else I got here. Um, hmm. Okay. What do you think is a bigger threat to Illinois jobs, China or the Democratic Party? That is a tough one. Um, you know, I'm going to have to go with Democrats. I think Democrats are, are slightly beating China. Um, just because of all the policies that continue to pass, all the taxes that continue to increase, the regulations that continue to instill on all the industries. And I mean, China's a close second. I mean, just because of the manufacturing jobs that they've taken away from Illinois. You've talked in your policies about getting rid of the federal income tax and you want to have a value-added tax. Mm -hmm. Do you think you could do something similar 
let's say forget federal. Do you think you could get rid of the Illinois income tax and replace it with a value added tax or could you get rid of the income tax at all? Like how do we make Illinois a more tax advantageous state? Yeah. So with Illinois, what we've seen is that we've had a massive income tax increase in the last six years or so. Um, and we continue to hear from politicians that, oh, this income tax is either going to be temporarily or it's going to help us, uh, you know, with, with uh, filling the, the holes that we have in our budget. That's not the case. Illinois doesn't have a, a their budget is that it's bloated. We don't have a revenue problem. We have uh, a, a spending problem. And until the politicians in Springfield decide to make tough decisions in cutting the size of government, cutting um, the budget, we're not gonna see a reduction in, in income taxes. And I mean, there's, tax, there's states that don't have an inc a state income tax. And these are some of the most uh, states that are actually flourishing and it's not the income tax that's helping them. It's, it's the fact that people are going and moving to their states because it's business friendly. People can actually keep more money in their pocket and government is actually run efficiently. And we're not seeing that here in Illinois. Um, so again, it starts by electing Republicans or not even Republicans start electing individuals that are against income tax increases against increasing fees. Um, that's another area where, where Chicago specifically is continues to, to just, we've seen uh, plate stickers go up. We've seen you know, an assortment of, of different fees that continue to go up in the name of the budget. But again, we don't have a revenue problem. We have a spending problem. What was the, what's, I think a cost of a license is now $60. Did you know this? My mom told me that the other day, she went to DMV. It was like $60 to get a new driver's license. I thought that was, oh, I got in the old uh, internet connections unstable. Can you still hear me? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. There you go. All right. Last question for you. Get you out of here on this. So it's your first day of Congress and you've memorized all 434 names. You're totally good. You're, you're feeling like a rock star. And you're walking down, you're walking down the steps. You're going to vote on something. You trip, you oh, face plant. Oh boy. And it is a viral video. First term Republican, you know, falls on his face, you know, Buzzfeed is all over it. You know, Huffington post, it's on the front page. It's like next to Trump. It's like Republicans mm -hmm. fall flat. Mm -hmm. What is the first tweet that you send out after that? Yeah, at that point, I think I would have to own it <laughs> and just retweet somebody that has a clever uh, uh, meme and just be like, yep, that was me. And that's me. <laughs> well, I think that, that's, that's, that sounds like you, though. That's kind of who you are, and that's what the kind of campaign you're running, and that's what you want to bring to Illinois. Hey, these are situations we have. These are how we're going to fix them. And I actually have an actual solution. I'm not currently trying to get a cabinet position with an administration that hopefully never happens. Jesus, mm -hmm. hey any, uh, any, any, any final thoughts here on, uh, on your campaign? Anything we talked about? Your favorite ice cream? This is a free-flowing conversation. Yeah, ice cream. I haven't had ice cream in a while. <laughs> but I I, I, I'm, a, I'm a vanilla kind of guy. Stay away from the chocolate. <laughs> um, 
what I do want to tell your listeners is in addition to your vote, the next important thing that you can do is get involved with the local candidate, get involved with the campaign, whether it's a local state rep, even if you want to get involved with the presidential campaign, there's so many things you can do from your home. You can make calls. Uh, you feel comfortable. You can go out and, and door knock and talk to your neighbors. So there's a lot of things you can do and you don't have to invest, you know, 80% of your time, maybe do an hour or two, um, you know, on a Saturday or, or a Sunday um, afternoon. And that's vital because the more people get involved, the more they start to understand the process and all these layers start to get peeled away and they get, get to see how, as they say, how the sausage is really made. And I think the more that people get involved and pay attention, I think the more that we're going to be able to, to get people on our side and get more conservatives elected into office. I love that. Jesus E. Solario Jr. running for Congress in the 4th District of Illinois. Thank you for laughing and learning with me tonight. We can find you on Twitter. Uh, do we have an Instagram, a Facebook page? Where else can we find you? Yeah, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. It's uh, Jesus Solario Jr. And my website is soloriofforcongress.com. And then we'll see you on Saturday. And where will you be? That is Pachowski Park on 31st and Central uh, from 10 to 4. Uh, we wanted to have enough room so people can stop by, have a quick bite to eat, say hello, um, and you know, we, uh, continue to invite the community and just come out and say hello. There you go. Jesus, thank you so much again for your time, and uh, we'll be in touch. Good luck, my man. Thank you so much.